Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. I am your host, Mark Ellis, flying solo for this week as my beloved co-host, Jacqueline Coley, is on assignment currently. The assignment today is is twofold. Well, one, you can check out upcoming tour dates of mine at markellis.live, including Las Vegas next week, and when we talk about what we're getting geared up for in the fall. Obviously, if you listen to this show for any period of time, you know Jacqueline and I are huge football fans, so we're about to kick off with the NFL season with college football, but there's also some art things that we're very passionate about, including on September 21st, the new Star Wars live-action series Andor drops on Disney Plus. And so we figured what better topic to talk about today than the Star Wars live action TV series that we've already been blessed with on streaming services and looking at their rating according to the tomato meter and audience score. So here is your Star Wars show rankings. And again, this is just live action. Rebels is great. Clone Wars is awesome. We're just doing the live action ones. And The Mandalorian averages out to be the number one seed 93 percent fresh is its average score for seasons one and two we got one season so far the book of boba fett and one of obi-wan kenobi it is obi-wan kenobi that takes second place at 77 percent which is also certified fresh and then the book of boba fett bringing up the rear but still fresh at 66 percent interesting to note the only one of the three shows that has a rotten audience score is The Book of Boba Fett, which is almost fresh. It's fresh adjacent at 57%. I used to live one street over from Beverly Hills, so I was Beverly Hills adjacent. And then sometimes, depending on who you're talking to, you just drop the adjacent and you just say, I live in Beverly Hills. So Book of Boba Fett, I'm allowing you to say you live in Freshtown. Well, someone who always is a the mayor of Freshtown, for all I know, he does so much great work with his endeavor that he created with his buddies, Heroes Reforged. You can catch that empire on YouTube. Adam Holavik is here. Adam, I say it's an empire, but it's really more <laughs> like Heroes Reforged is like the First Order without the downside. It's all the good stuff. It's all the organization, all the technical achievements, but without any of that, you know, murdering innocence and using the dark side of the force. I mean, at least that's how you see it. You don't know what happens behind the scenes now, do you, Mark? <laughs> I've never been invited to watch a taping, so I don't know all the bickering, the the retiring to trailers for hours. I don't know that's how right. all that stuff goes, but that's you right. seem like you're the best of friends on camera. It's a bloodbath sometimes, I won't lie. <laughs> 
You know how it is, uh, man. <laughs> I I certainly do. You you do reviews on YouTube with one other person for a long time, and mm-hmm. you, you do get to bickering. But it it really you know watching you all <laughs> talk about heroes, talk on heroes reforged does remind me of my schmoes no days with Christian Harloff. Simply because mm-hmm. it, you can really tell that you guys it, it, the disagreements are great, but you you also see eye to eye as far as where the the tone of the show and and that is if you're in alignment with that then it actually makes such fertile ground for you to have disagreements about the art about what's better and that's sort of what we're here to talk about today is these shows that we all want to bring a positive spin to because there's always so much back and forth on social media and negativity and the fan base is always torn apart it seems but at the end of the day, you have three Star Wars live action TV shows so far, and they are all fresh on the tomato meter, which is a good thing. So if I was to give you your ranking, it's Mandalorian, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Book of Boba Fett, according to Rotten Tomatoes. But I ask you, is Rotten Tomatoes wrong? Great question. You know, I, I went back and forth with a couple of these titles, but I think for me, for the most part, it's actually correct, in my opinion. Um for me, The Mandalorian for sure is the top spot. I think that one has been the most consistent for the last two seasons in terms of its quality, storytelling, action, the fun that the show has. And then I think from there, you know, you really have to, for me at least personally, just as a Star Wars fan, as someone who worked in visual effects for years, I have to kind of start breaking things down from story, tone, production, quality, and all that sort of stuff. And while I do think, you know, Obi-Wan does edge out Boba Fett, in some ways, I think it's like pretty minimal for the most part, but just in the general sense, yes, I do agree with this with this ranking. I have Rotten Tomatoes as being wrong here. I, I agree that The Mandalorian would be number one in my mm-hmm. book by a not a sizable margin, but there's some breathing room there. And then you get to number two, which I would have as the book of Boba Fett. I just found Boba Fett and the mystery behind this character that we all really fell in love with, with very minimal screen time to back it up. To get into that backstory and the way that we flash back and flash forward, I thought was so well done. Obi-Wan Kenobi is, again, some show has to be third place. It's Hmm. not necessarily detriment, but when you're making lists, that's the problem with doing these things is that somebody's got to be bringing up the rear. And unfortunately, uh, one of my favorite Jedi of all time is the last kid picked in dodgeball for this list because Obi-Wan Kenobi, I just... And, and I'm on record as saying this, and maybe I'm just becoming an old man yelling at clouds, but I love how precious my timeline has always been with the classic trilogy, and it feels like we're infringing upon that territory, and that, again, I go back to breathing space a little bit, where we're just cramming a lot of canon into these times when I still want my Obi-Wan to just be that crazed wizard that is just walking and is just kind of, you know, so out of practice and out of shape. Um, But I did like a lot of what Obi-Wan Kenobi brought to the table. So we'll get into all of these and what our feelings behind these rankings are right after we spend some time at our neighbor's house, that being Tim Ryan, our expert review curation manager here at Rotten Tomatoes. He's going to tell us what the critics were saying at the time of release of these three shows going all the way back to 2019. Ah, we were all so young. Tim, take it away. Two men's with Tim. The made-for-TV Ewok movies, The Clone Wars, Lego Star Wars, and the granddaddy of them all, the Star Wars Holiday Special. None of these will be discussed on today's segment. Instead, we're going to focus on the three live-action Disney Plus Star Wars series. 
Before we jump in, a quick note about overall scores. They factor in both season-level reviews and the tomato meter scores for individual episodes. Here we go. From 2019 and 2020, The Mandalorian's two seasons are fresh on the tomato meter with an overall score of 93%, and they have a 92% audience score. The Book of Boba Fett's one season from 2021 is fresh with an overall score of 66% with a 57% audience score. And Obi-Wan Kenobi's one season is fresh with an overall score of 79% and has an audience score of 65%. So what did the critics have to say? In a fresh review of Obi-Wan Kenobi, Zaki Hassan of the San Francisco Chronicle wrote, This show demonstrates all the ways the Star Wars universe can revisit familiar faces and places without feeling like a simple retread. However, in a rotten review of the finale of The Book of Boba Fett, James Whitbrook of io9 wrote, It's never been clear that Boba's original status as a compelling design in search of a character is something Star Wars is still struggling with after all these years. So that's a rundown of the recent Star Wars TV series. Let's kick it back to Mark, a man who has never gotten me anything for Life Day. Thanks a lot, Mark. Back to you, folks. There you have it. I mean, again, there's a reason why these three shows are fresh, according to the tomato meter. And now we get to get into the TV talk of it because we hear this music. When you first heard that Star Wars might become a TV show in some capacity, were you enthusiastic? Were you hesitant? As far as I remember, I think I was pretty enthusiastic about the idea. Now, I can't exactly remember how much we knew about the show when they first announced that they were going to do one. Like, I don't know if we specifically knew that it was like a Mandalorian series or not, but I think because at that point I had kind of finished my, my time in visual effects and I had seen just how much it had advanced in the time that I was doing it. I had a lot of high hopes for what it potentially could do. And then I think once I started doing some digging and figuring out that they were going to use some of the tech that they did on like jungle book, but it'll be better. And then that, you know, tech got even better with things like the Lion King. I thought, okay, then this series probably has something to offer. Otherwise, I don't think that they would do it. I don't think that they would put the Star Wars franchise at such a risk by creating a TV show that cannot live up to what the movies at that point were. So, and I think this show probably must have been announced of like, what, 2017, 2018. So at that point, we had already had The Force Awakens. We probably were very close to having The Last Jedi So I think at that point, I was pretty on board with what Disney was offering in terms of what they thought could be something that could live up to or surpass or at least get very close to the quality of the movies. So I was pretty enthusiastic. Yeah, it it was almost like you're following in George Lucas's thought process because Lucas famously did not want to make the prequels, didn't even want to think about him until he knew that the effects would catch up to where his creative genius was. And so that's why it was such a gap between 83 with Return of the Jedi and 99 with The Phantom Menace. And then once you have this, uh, you know, you because you did work in visual effects and folks listening and watching, Adam has worked on some of the biggest movies of all time. You've seen the movies that Adam has had a hand in with his magic touch. Is there a point that you can, because we can so easily go back and look at Jurassic Park as that was sort of the thing that George Lucas was visiting his buddy Steven on set and he said, oh, wow, I can tell the stories I want to tell now. Is there a similar moment in visual effects history that would have been the conduit to let TV shows have that storytelling ability is there one moment that you can pinpoint in time is there a show that you say oh wow i didn't realize that we could do that on television or on a streaming service that's a really good question 
Um, and a and a curveball because I did not yeah. ask you to think about this at all leading <laughs> up to right now. So I apologize. Yeah. I think I think two shows for me because I here's to be totally truthful. I didn't watch a ton of television growing up, and the television that I did watch was something was stuff that did not require heavy visual effects. But two shows that definitely stick out to me are Smallville, which is the Superman origin mm. story, and Heroes on NBC. Yeah, Heroes right. on NBC was a really impressive show, considering that it was a obviously a weekly series in the old school format of TV, 22, 23 episodes. And it did have some pretty ambitious visual effects for a series that was not based on anything. It was not based on anything. Uh, no Marvel, no DC, no Star Wars. So I think in the 2001 to 2007 era, you know, I think more shows started doing more visual effects. So I think somewhere around that point, I think studios and audiences started to realize, oh, we could do things a little bit more ambitiously on television. We don't have to just rely on cheap tricks or, you know, shortcutting stuff. Like we can actually do visual effects. And then obviously the explosion of the Arrowverse, I think, has also been a huge contributor to that as well. Right. And you see the budgets that that shows like that were being broadcast on the CW or even network television back in mm -hmm. the day, uh, th those budgets to do visual effects, which have been minuscule, even to what Disney can put into the streaming shows. And it's so funny as we now sort of get deep into the galaxy far, far away when you're watching Star Wars stories on the small screen, which is what we're focusing on today. I do find the storytelling it lends itself more to that Western vibe that it seems like everything is going for now where a Western is going to be a lot of downtime. There's going to be a lot of gradually revealing the layers of who a character is and what their real intentions are. And to pair that with the familiarity that we have in this galaxy, I think that that has been one of the big selling points for me about really all three shows because the Book of Boba Fett is so closely tied into the DNA of the Mandalorian and then Obi-Wan it's further back in time but it also you know Obi-Wan Kenobi maybe that's the reason why it's number three for me Adam is because I'm so connected with Obi-Wan Kenobi and Darth Vader since I was born that it's almost like there's no way that you're ever going to be able to live up to all of those expectations but I've never seen this Mandalorian guy before I've never seen a baby Yoda before that's cool Everybody deserves a Grogu. And then with Book of Boba Fett, we, we knew so little about Boba Fett that it's like, yeah, that became appointment viewing because what the hell is this guy about now that he has emerged from the Sarlacc pit and is trying to sort of rebuild himself? I think because I have such an attachment to Obi-Wan Kenobi, he, first of all, he's my favorite character probably in all of Star Wars. Oh, wow. Okay. So when that show was announced, I was incredibly excited for that show. Like just seeing you and McGregor walk on that D23 stage, I like almost lost it. He's so, so good at saying hello amazing. there and just he's, getting us to just turn into puddles of goo. I mean, he, he's so good at it. Yeah, he's so good at it. I mean, he's yeah, and he's been doing it for so long now. So I think that also definitely influences my opinion and my ranking of the show is my anticipation. I love Boba Fett. Don't get me wrong. I think he was such a cool character. I think the prequels maybe kind of made me, I don't want to say less excited, but it didn't do anything for me to get me more excited for the character. So when he showed up in The Mandalorian, I was like, this is awesome. I love this. This is so cool. What a great way to reintroduce him. And then the show kind of was like an up and down, a little bit of like a roller coaster, emotional roller coaster for me, because there definitely were moments in it that were like amazing, incredible, got me even more hooked into the character. 
But then there was stuff that I was like, okay, it, it's just kind of moving along. Whereas with the Kenobi series, I kind of felt like I was invested the whole time because I care about this character so much. So I think a lot of that also has influenced kind of like where I rank these two shows. Yeah, you buy into the character immediately because you know Obi-Wan and it's the guy who has played him before. Yeah. Um, when it comes to The Mandalorian, that's the top ranked one on the tomato meter and also in both of our minds. Mm -hmm. What is the, is there an episode, is there a scene that you can point to in either season one or two uh, that that really is, is why this show turns you on so much? For me, it, it's funny because I didn't immediately pick up at the end of the first episode of season two that that was Boba Fett. And so the episode ends and it's this now famous shot of you're kind of behind Boba Fett just off to the right and he, and he pops into frame right as before we fade to black. And I just remember thinking, wow, that was like a menacing present. And then the credit, and I was like, wait a minute, wait. And I rewound, I was like, that's freaking Boba Fett. So th that was definitely an all-timer for me. What's the all-timer for you Ooh. as far as a scene or a sequence goes in The Mandalorian season one or two? That is that. That's a good one. the The Boba Fett reveal is a really good one because I remember at the time there were rumors, you know, as there are always, circling that Tamara Morrison was going to come back, and then it was kind of unconfirmed, and then it just kind of like disappeared into the ether, and I forgot about it. So then, when that reveal happened at the end, my jaw hit the floor so hard because I couldn't believe that he was back in the Star Wars universe. So that was an amazing moment. But truthfully, the very first episode of The Mandalorian hooked me. And I was just so gobsmacked by how good it looked and how much it lived up to the quality of the movies. And up to that point, oh, the whole sequel trilogy had come out. So we had all three movies that had already come out. Or it was actually, no, no, sorry. We had the first two. We had Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker was just about mm -hmm. to premiere. So up to that point, you know, I was really impressed with the look of the movies. And I knew some things about the volume technology, not as much as I know now, but... So I was intrigued by the whole idea and process of how they were making the show. So even just from the first frame of Mandalorian walking across this like snow filled, you know, walkway into this bar, I was like, okay, I'm really vibing with this like Western feeling, the music that Luda Garanson would made. And then by the time you get to the end and you see the IG robot and Boba Fett or um, Mandalorian taking out this whole town of, of villains and then leading into the dramatic moment of the revelation of baby Yoda, I, I was, I was hooked. So it, it, all it took was the first episode for me. And I think that was really important. I think if they weren't able to hook you emotionally and hook you just as like a fan, I don't think it would have had the impact that it did. And then of course, just the, the lore building that it's doing is, is, is so cool. So yeah, for me, it was for sure that first episode, the most important one, in my opinion, that really hooked me. Yeah, and, and just the fact that they could keep a reveal as giant as there's a baby Yoda. I don't know how they did from that. That was everybody. as hell. You still ask Dave Filoni about it, and he just gets exasperated thinking about how tough that was. I don't know how they did that. And I think that's the most impressive thing about the Star Wars shows that they're doing. You know, with movies, even the movies, to, to, for the most part, they've done a pretty good job keeping a lot of that stuff under wraps. I don't know how they do it. And Marvel has also done a... Yeah. Fairly good job at doing that as well. I don't know how these massive productions are so good at keeping these things under wraps. I don't know what their phone policy is on set. I don't know. But I'm really happy about that because as much as I love to talk about this stuff and as much as I love to do these like podcast shows and you know we talk about movies and we do reviews and I'm still really not 
into spoiler talk before the movie comes out. Like, I don't necessarily want to know everything. It's inevitable that someone will tweet at me something that they read on a forum that does end up being true. (laughs) It's not that common. And I always ask people like, hey, look, if you don't care about spoilers, that's fine. Yeah, I like to I like to hold on to the moment as much as I can when I watch the thing. So I think that it's so impressive that they've been able to hold all that stuff back. And I mean, everything you look at everything, the Boba Fett reveal, the Ahsoka Tano stuff, you know, that stuff is always rumored, 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 and they just ignore it. They don't address it. They don't bring attention to it. None of that stuff. So it just they're really able to kind of preserve the magic of the experience, which is, I think, something that. You know, we had the benefit of having, for me, it was the prequel era, obviously, because I wasn't alive when the original trilogy came out. But even those movies did did a great job of, (laughs) the prequels did a great job of just kind of keeping everything under wraps. And of course, it was a different time. We weren't on Twitter like we are now. But um, yeah, so it's, it's really impressive that they're able to really, you know, hold on to the or preserve that first watch through experience without things being spoiled left and right. Uh, and I would say the headliner of that statement would be Luke Skywalker because at, you know, you, you're oh ending God. a, ending a season and, and I'll never forget. It's really one of the great star Wars viewing moments that I had, albeit it was virtual because my brother, uh, two years younger than me is up in Seattle. And we just mm-hmm. so happened to be starting. We were texting with each other and we were just about to start the final episode at the same time. And so we're like, yeah, let's just kind of watch through this together and just kind of, you know, chime in. And he was, he was a little bit ahead of me. And so I'm watching it. He didn't ruin that it was Luke Skywalker, but what he he texted me, he's like, oh my God, an X-Wing just showed up. And so if you know the scene, there's this big climactic kind of confrontation. And then an X-Wing flies in and docks inside this larger ship. And then who walks in but Mr. Green Lightsaber himself, Luke Skywalker, to claim baby, baby Yoda Grogu to train. And when I saw the X-Wing, when I saw my brother's text, I was still thinking that it was the one of those two like sort of rebel cops that we met yeah. earlier in the season. And so I'm like, okay, well, this is cool. I love seeing X-Wings, the Honda Civic of outer space. But what? And then <laughs> I started thinking, I'm like, who else has it? Oh, my God. No. And then just the way that they do the walk of Luke and then the reveal that there's a green lightsaber and seeing him. I mean, just with your visual effects brain. It, it paid off for me. I mean, obviously, you know that it's, it's some sort of de-aging technology, but it really looked good r- regardless of what size screen it's on. I mean, in a theater, it would have looked amazing, but I really thought they pulled it off well from a visual effects standpoint. Yeah, I had, I obviously had mixed, I, I, won't, I won't say I had mixed feelings about it because I would say it's like 90% of the way there. I think there's like 10% of like, we're still experimenting with this. We don't know exactly how to perfect it just yet, but we're getting there. But I, I, I honestly just kind of applaud them for even trying it now in terms of like how they've been using that technology and sort of the justification of using that technology and like the ethics of that technology. I think that's a separate conversation, but in terms of like the quality of it, I was really impressed. Like it was off a little bit, but I, you got to give it to them. I mean, the fact that they went for it and they were like, you know what? We feel confident enough that people will buy into Luke Skywalker being a part of the story. They'll be excited for it. They'll be so in the moment. They'll be so wrapped up in the moment that whether or not it looks pitch perfect, it is what it is. You know, we'll make it better in the next season. Because I, I, as soon as I saw Luke Skywalker, I thought, okay, if he's taking baby Yoda, Grogu, we're going to see this character again. They're going to work on this tech and they're going to make it even better for the next time that we see him. And the next time we see him, 
God, it's so much better. And yeah, it, 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 it's unreal how, how much better it got in season two or in Book of Boba Fett, I should say. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Yeah, and, and Booga Boba Fett, and so now we're, we're sort of conditioned. It's like the first time that Spielberg scares you in Jaws with, you know, Chrissy getting eaten, or then it's Ben Gardner's, like, corpse. And so we're sort of conditioned to not trust what we see or to maybe expect the unexpected by the time Luke shows up in the book of Boba Fett. But it's no less impactful for a guy who, you know, Luke is one of my top three favorite Star Wars characters of all time, right up there with OG Yoda and R2-D2. If there's a character in the Mandalorian that you say, okay, this is this is somebody that I can latch my wagon to as far as just a, a really engaging story, someone who I, I want to come back week after week to see what they are up to, which character do you say? Or is it just as simple as it is watching the Mandalorian? Yeah, it's for sure watching the Mandalorian. I think if I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing if it's um if it's baby Yoda, if it's Grogu, that's also fine. But I think if you're if you're not at all invested in the Mandalorian story, then I think the show has failed. But for me, though, I it it works incredibly well, and I'm so invested in Din Djarin and you know a character who literally didn't exist before three years ago, <laughs> and all it took was you know those first eight I think it was eight episodes for me to be like I'm fully invested. I love this character. I love Pedro Pascal, and I love that he does the voice. Um, so I just was. I don't know. I don't know what it was. I think it was not not even the fact that he looked like another Boba Fett type of character. I think it's just the way they wrote the mystery about the story and the way they slowly unravel things and how he becomes a part of sort of like the Mandalorian culture and all that sort of stuff. I think they just wrote a character who, and because it is Dave Filoni and, and, and it's Jon Favreau, particularly Dave Filoni because he is such a Star Wars fan. I think that was the key part to making that show work. So yeah, for me, Din Djarin for sure is like, and even now, even with Book of Boba Fett, with the Ahsoka show happening, whatever future stories they tell that are in this like five-year post-Return of the Jedi, to me, Din Djarin is always going to be the anchor that as long as his story is kind of firing on all cylinders and he's the thing that's kind of grounding the whole, you know, this whole second phase of storytelling in the sequ- in the pre- in the uh, original trilogy era then I'm going to be on board with almost whatever they do. And and getting to see Mandalorian's battle, I believe Deborah Chow, and it's probably the reason why she's <laughs> my favorite uh, director that, that's working on these right now. Yeah. And, and all due respect to, to your favors, to uh, Rick Famuyiwa, uh, there isn't a bad one in the bunch. Right. But 
watching Deborah Chow and how she had that action scene where we're using our jetpacks in in season one, and it's just this great old oh west God. shootout it's just so well done i think that was episode three and that's the yeah. one where we we, we were do, we were going along we're setting up this world what the the status of the galaxy is and then we get the star wars action that we all crave and so that was so well done by her as far as characters for me go I would go with, I could easily watch an entire run with Fennec, who has been uh, played by Ming-Na Wen, who's just such great connective tissue between the Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett. Um, and then, obviously, uh, grief, just because it's Carl Weathers. and, and Yeah, you what, can't go wrong with Apollo, baby. <laughs> you cannot go wrong with Apollo Creed. He directed himself a wonderful episode. Oh, the episode he directed was so cool. Seeing those stormtroopers on those, on, those, um, on those speeder bikes, I was like, Damn! Yeah, where, where you been yeah. this whole time, Carl Weathers? And uh, you know, obviously, I have a soft spot for Mayfield just because it's played by my my buddy Bill Burr, who is uh, you know th th set Twitter on fire for a day because yeah. God forbid we have a Bostonian in space who talks <laughs> like a Bostonian, and I you know I do a bit about so it. Good. I want to see a whole planet of Boston. You know, I want them. I just I want nothing but Boston. If it's not called Bostonia, then don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. It just <laughs> I want them to narrate the whole thing. It'd be wonderful to read the crawl text with a Boston accent. Oh, but man. I'm so interested in this time period as far as uh, who's getting ahead. Who's making a buck here? Who's getting a leg up with there's fragments of the empire, the rebellion still finding its footing. And I go to Werner Herzog, the client. That is such a fascinating character to me. I want that movie. I just want to know how this guy got here with his dealings with the empire, with the boots on the ground. He always has a plan. He's always got some, he's always got these loose ends that need to be tied up. And I just find him such an interesting character that you could just delve into that backstory for days and that's the kind of thing that i wanted in this show and so where i feel like the mandalorian certainly you're tuning in every week to see where we're going on this road trip adventure with mandalorian and, and grogu but man there's a lot of good supporting cast in the mandalorian as well oh absolutely yeah and i would very much like to see that movie <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i think that that is um that to me is one of the things that was a bit unexpected for me when it came to the Mandalorian was how much I was intrigued by the supporting characters, how much more of the supporting characters I wanted to see, how many of those supporting characters I was just like you. I'm like, I would love to see a movie about that. character. I'd love to see a show about that. I would love to see da, 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 da. you know, like Amy Sedaris's character. I never would have thought in a million years I would care about this character in Maz Espa, but here we are. And I'm like, I'd be super intrigued to find out about her relationship with Jawas. Tell me more, please. There's just so, and that, that to me is like the magic of Mando is that, yes, you care about Din Djarin. Yes, you care about Grogu, but you care about everyone. Like all the characters that you were just listing, you care about all of them. You care about all of them. The show made you care about Boba Fett in a way that you never cared about before. You thought he looked cool. You thought the idea and concept of Boba Fett was cool, but Mandalorian showed you, oh, this is why people talk about him the way they do and why they talk about why he's so cool. But yeah, I, I agree. And I, and I think that's the magic of what they're doing is they could spin off literally any character. And for the most part, I think people would be like, well, I'm on board. I'm on board. I'm on board to see what this character is all about. And I think that's so cool that they have that sort of trust with the audience, but they also have the confidence to just say, yeah, why not? Let's just do it. Why not? 
Well, it, it, it's, I guess, coincidental that we're talking about these shows in anticipation of the Cassian Andor series that's about to drop. Because Cassian Andor, when we see him in Rogue One, is, is really one of the first characters in Star Wars I think you could point to where you actually feel and see the desperation of the time and you forgive a character like Andor for using extreme methods just to survive. We're more, we're, we give more moral ground to them because we know that they're in impossible situations, like when you have to shoot somebody that you know in the back. And whereas we can imagine Han Solo probably getting into some hairy situations in his past in the classic trilogy, I never saw it so viscerally portrayed until it was Cassian Andor. And then we get a lot of these characters we're talking about in The Mandalorian that, like, look, they're out to survive, okay? So mm -hmm. they may not necessarily be the most trustworthy individuals, but it's because that's how desperate the times are. On the flip side of that, Obi-Wan Kenobi doesn't get that luxury because we know him just to be the purest of the pure and we've trusted him for so long with movies that bookend the series Obi-Wan Kenobi. And so do you feel like that character lived up to how we saw him in the prequels and in the classic trilogy? Well, going into the show, as soon as I sort of heard like, you know, the log line or whatever, where it was like, he's, he's someone who's really pushed the past away and he's trying to just live out his hermit life on Tatooine. I thought this is going to be very reminiscent of Luke's journey in the last Jedi. I think people are not going to mm. like it, but to okay. me, it kind of feels like a natural progression to where that character should be. Now, obviously by the end of the series, I, I figured he would kind of be in a different place, but yeah, I mean, you know, does he live up to the expectation? I mean, it kind of depends on what your expectation is. So kind of like with the Luke Skywalker thing, people were expecting to see a certain type of Luke Skywalker. They wanted to see probably a version of the character that existed at that point in the expanded universe where he was this all-knowing wise Jedi and he was powerful and he could do all these things. So I think with Obi-Wan Kenobi, I kind of went into it with a thought process of, well, what has this character already been through? How does that affect where he's currently at? And what do those events that are he's currently about to go through affect how he is in the future? So from that perspective, it was a little bit easier for me to kind of grasp with the idea of an Obi-Wan Kenobi who is not the same Obi-Wan Kenobi from the prequel era where he's a little bit more lighthearted and he's a little bit more has this like energy to him and he's quippy and he's fun. This is a guy who pretty much had to kill his brother more or less to prevent the rise of a terrible regime across the universe. It led to the death of friends, colleagues, you know, so many allies. It, it led to the destruction of, of a Republic that he believed in and values that he believed in. So it wasn't surprising to me that when we meet this character, he is really just like living his days until the day that he no longer exists. And it's really, you know, it's the events of that show that kind of pull him back into the story. So I, I think once we get into the story and once we start progressing and he finds out that Anakin is alive and he's Darth Vader and there's all these things that start to, you know, the, the, the ball starts to get bigger as it rolls down the hill, the snowball, he starts to kind of lean back into the things that we loved about him in the prequels. He starts to become, once again, that hero, that protector, that defender, that guardian of the galaxy that we kind of know him as. And he starts to kind of like loosen up and he starts to become quippy again. But then, you know, there's emotional moments where he has to confront Darth Vader and those feelings that he has, those emotions come back into play. So I think there's a lot, there's a big emotional roller coaster for that character. But I do think that by the time we get to the end of that show, 
it leans a little bit more back into the Alginus version of that character. And then, you know, there's still eight years of unexplored territory. Whether or not we see that in a show, who knows, you know? But I, I so I do think that it does kind of like honor the bookends of that story of the prequel version where we see him where he's a little bit more lighthearted. He goes through some trauma. He deals with that trauma. And then by the end of it, he's a little bit more, he's just a little closer to the Alginus version without being so close that you're like, well, what difference is, what's the difference between this character from the end of this first season to the beginning of a new hope? Cause I feel like if he felt too similar to the Alginus version that I'm like, well, what did he do for eight years? You know, yeah, right. In, in that, yeah. If it's too close, you know, it'd be different if the show ended and then two weeks later, the events of a new hope happened. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that's fine. But <laughs> eight years, I'm like, people change so much in eight years. That's, that's the amount of time I've been making YouTube content. If I haven't changed in the entire eight years that I've been making stuff, then there's something, I don't know. I'm missing out on something, I think. And much like Obi-Wan's look in this show, I'm sure fans are just livid that you still look as young as you do. And I'll just remind people that Obi-Wan still has, <laughs> like Adam said, eight years to just run out of sunscreen yeah. and just get his, his <laughs> skin all old man. charred from... <laughs> again, there's not just one. There's two suns on Tatooine, okay? And so you need an SPF 1000 no. <laughs> if you want to stay out of that stuff. It's a hot, hot, desert, dry <laughs> planet. And... I love the, the the connective line that you drew between Obi-Wan as we see him in the series and Luke Skywalker as we meet him in The Last Jedi because they both had this ideal, this utopian vista of what the the galaxy could have looked like. And when, you know, really it was part of their shortcomings that you don't necessarily blame them for it, but they also, they were the line of defense and it didn't work out. And so they just go into hiding, whether it's forced, whether it's just emotionally, that's the only place left for them to go. And the thing that I, that I said when the Obi-Wan series was announced and you know, you look back on it and we always you can change our opinions. But I said I didn't necessarily want or need Darth Vader in the show because I wanted to just watch Obi-Wan exist and maybe get into some squabbles on Tatooine and have to figure something out. And then they announce Hayden Christensen is back and you get excited because it is Darth Vader and you always love seeing Darth Vader in his prime. But yeah. the Vader aspect of the show, did that live up? to the the sort of hype that you had for it do you feel like this was a different vader that you met or was it consistent with the vader that you've come to know and if not love respect yeah and i think again you know talking about transitions i think that's what the show for me at least kind of felt like and i don't think at the time when it was announced that was what i was looking for but as we went on the journey that's what it kind of ended up being for me as a transitional point, because before we even see Vader again in a new hope, we see him in rebels. We see him in all kinds of stuff. And, you know, I know that not every star Wars fan, <clears throat> you know, binges every piece of star Wars media and that's totally fine. Um, but, you know, but for me, I've seen rebels. So I've seen shades of what happens to that character mm -hmm. right before we meet him again in a new hope, his interactions with Ahsoka and all that sort of stuff. So for me, this Vader in particular, even though it is 10 years sort of into his tenure as this villain, still feel like he is dealing with the trauma and the emotional damage that he's been through, <laughs> uh, you know, leading up to all of these events. So I think for him to sort of still struggle to not only deal with how he feels about everything that's happening to him and how everything's sort of all the events are kind of circling around him, but also just dealing with his internal struggle of how to cope with, am I Anakin Skywalker or am I Darth Vader? What does that mean? What's the difference between Anakin Skywalker and Darth Vader? What's the difference between the Anakin Skywalker I became 
you know, right before I became Darth Vader. And then what's the difference? Like, you know, how, how is he juggling that idea of dealing with his identity? Because that to me feels like something that if you went through that journey, like he does, yes, you're going to be emotionally damaged because of everything that you went through, but also what, yeah, like what identity do you embrace? What does it mean to be Darth Vader? What is that? What is and that? Those That's flashbacks. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that we get seeing Obi-Wan and Anakin training and how Obi-Wan still has the upper hand when it comes to the mental games exactly. that, that, that a Jedi must play. And to see Darth Vader still sometimes fall prey to his old master when it comes to that. But you make such a fascinating point because the Darth Vader that you get to see in A New Hope, this is a more advanced, more comfortable in his own boots, Darth Vader, than even the one that we get in the Obi-Wan streaming series. And, oh, yeah. you know, I, I got to tell you, you know Darth Vader's in this show. And so then every other villain, I just, in my idiot brain, just kind of reduced to a cookie cutter villain until they prove something different to me. And so you have Rupert, uh, Rupert Friend as the Grand Inquisitor, and then you have uh, Moses Ingram as Inquisitor Reva. And so where I just thought they were just going to be stock, kind of one note, they're, they're just the bad guys. Then Reva's storyline, I think, is so important and really shows where Star Wars has progressed from A New Hope in 1977, where you had, okay, we're good and we're bad. And this Han Solo guy, he's right, but he's going to be a good guy. With Reva, it's just as evil as it can get. But then you also see why. And you see, you talk about the emotional damage that was dealt to her as a youngling. It's the same sort of thing that you get with John Boyega's Finn in in Force Awakens because he's a stormtrooper and that's sort of what he's been trained and he didn't really have a choice in the matter as to what his life path was. So to see characters more recently in Star Wars lore begin at point A and then sort of take control of their own destiny for the very first time is really, really, I think, an interesting facet of storytelling that I hope we continue to see in Star Wars going forward. I think also with just expanding that lore, like you're saying, I think that it makes it more interesting if you can find a way to use characters where they are struggling with identity. They're struggling to figure out what their place is in the world because we do that on a daily basis. It doesn't matter. I'm doing if it right you're, now. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you're 20, 25, 35, 45. You're constantly trying to figure out, am I doing the right thing? Am I on the right path? Should I go left? Should I go right? Should I go backwards? Which way should I go? You're constantly doing that. And I think that's what makes the Star Wars lore feel that much more three-dimensional is when we when we project those issues, those real life issues that we deal with onto those characters and find interesting ways to then carve out their story in the universe. And that to me is what is so intriguing and exciting about this new era of Star Wars is that we can do that. We can do that with characters like Reva. Hell, we could make a whole show about the Inquisitors and talk about their relationships yes. with each other, their relationships with Darth Vader, their relationships with the Emperor, with the rest of the Empire itself, with the entire galaxy. Like, that's what I think is so cool is that you can do these things now and make really layered characters. And everyone who watches can kind of find the character that kind of speaks to them the most. Whether or not they're good or bad, I think like even the villains at some point must have been good and they were set on a path that led them somewhere. And it's like, oh, you can always find things that kind of reflect or mirror something in our life that we've done that we're like, oh, yeah, I made a questionable, made a questionable choice here like this character did. 
cool. Now I know how bad that is. I'm not going to do that again. Unless it's murder. Then I'm like, you should have probably known that beforehand. You probably should have known that already. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, and, you know, no offense to our friends who actually live on Tatooine, but the, the Star Wars sandbox has gotten so big that everybody is invited to play yeah. as someone there. So I, I have a couple sort of more quick hit questions for you just because you're you're so you're such an expert with this stuff and you're so ingratiated <laughs> in the lore and I could listen to you're one of the few voices we've ever had on the show that gets to a deeper register than mine. So I'm a little envious <laughs> in that regard. Um regardless of how you yourself feel because I you're pretty high on the prequels, uh is is my understanding, right? Are you're you're I mean, again, that's sort of your childhood upbringing is you're coming into your own while the prequels are sort of happening. So I'm just curious if Obi-Wan Kenobi, the show, did that make the prequels in retrospect better to you? Do you think that it made the prequels better for Star Wars fandom in general? That's a really good question. So I'm, I'm not necessarily one of those people who, when they can, when they watch something new, that's part of a universe, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily retroactively make the thing that came before it better. I think if anything, it just kind of adds more context and mm -hmm. it just kind of like flushes out things more. But so here's the thing. I, my first exposure to Star Wars was the original trilogy because I saw the re-releases in 97. So even though I wasn't alive when they originally came out in the seventies, I still gravitate more towards the original trilogy, but I still have a lot of love for the prequels, except for maybe episode two, because I, I <laughs> appreciate so much technologically what they were trying to do. Now on a story level, we can talk about story all day. We can talk about script all day. Um, there's good and bad, but I think overall, does it enhance it in some ways? Maybe, but I think mostly what it does is it makes me excited to just, it kind of just makes me excited to binge Star Wars if I'm being honest. Yeah. And, and I feel like it less so than retroactively making the prequels better or more rewatchable. I think what it does do is to a certain extent, I think it redeems Hayden Christensen in a lot of folks' oh, yeah. eyes because sure. having him return and getting to sink his teeth into that character in and outside of the costume one more time because there's a great moment at Star Wars Celebration in, I want to say Orlando, I believe, is when Hayden Christensen walked back on the stage and was introduced and got a standing ovation. It was just this beautiful moment of, you know, you've been through some criticism playing this character. And to to have it, you know, 15 years later to have people stand on their feet just to appreciate what you did for the character, I think is special. But that is limited to that day and that moment. And even if you can watch it streaming at the same time, it doesn't have the same kind of impact right. as actually getting to play the character again in front of a, a global audience. And so to watch him succeed as Anakin in this, I think was really special. And, you know, in, in the same way, you look at the book of Boba Fett and you say, did, did this show live up to, we couldn't help ourselves with the expectations as to who Boba Fett was. Did mm -hmm. he survive the Sarlacc pit at all? Do you think that this lived up to the expectations that you yourself had for Boba Fett's future? Should he get out of the Sarlacc pit? For me, it more than exceeded what I thought would happen afterwards. Yeah, I was actually very surprised by the show, especially I would say the first like two, three episodes, I think were the most surprising to me because we dive into how did he survive the Sarlacc pit? How did he integrate himself with the Tuscans and all yeah. that sort of stuff? That to me, I was just so mind blown by that. That was such a, a, a pleasantly unexpected curveball, you know, and the way that they communicate it for me, what it did is it took a character that 
was really nothing if you think about it. He was nothing. He looked really cool. And that's fine. That's totally fine yeah. if the character looks cool. <laughs> but what the Book of Boba Fett did for that character is something that I wish that the prequels would have done that we didn't really get to because he shows up in one movie as a kid. Mm. We make yeah. his dad look really cool, but then we never see or hear from him in episode three, which I think was a lost opportunity. So I think what, what Book of Boba Fett did for sure was it allowed us to learn more about the character, learn about the struggles, and again, talking about sort of that emotional damage, he has that one sequence where he has this vision of everything that's kind of happened throughout his life, the trauma that he's been through of constantly seeing his father go off on these missions and being left alone on Camino, And, you know, like that has to have some sort of an impact on you when that's constantly the thing that you're exposed to. And I think that was the thing that surprised me the most was the fact that, yes, he's a bounty hunter. Yes, he's badass looking, but there is... A, a human element to this character who is a clone of another character. He's, you know, he was birthed out yeah. of technology, but to see that this character has his own, his own feelings and thoughts and he has his own trauma, it makes you just that much more attached to the character and, and to, to, I guess, breathe, you know, new life into the, the, the perspective of what the Tuscans are and who they are. And to have those interactions between those two groups of people was so cool. And then of course, having him team up, with uh, with Fennec Shen was awesome. Come on, She's, yeah. Nah, as soon nah, as when, come on. When they ran that little tease, the stinger at the end oh of Mandalorian, God. and it was Book of Boba Fett, and then he sits down on the throne, but then she comes in next to him. That's what I was like. Yeah, I am totally yep. all in on this show. Yep. And you know, with, with with Boba Fett and with Mandalorian, we don't necessarily know where those stories go where, where they're going to end. With Obi-Wan, we did. I mean, we, we've seen the movies. We, we know what ultimately happens to Obi-Wan in this life and the next. Cassie and Andor's show, Andor, which drops September 21st, that is one where, again, we know the end of this character, but seeing their beginning, is this one that you, that you had earmarked for a while? Is this one where do you think the sky's the limit? This maybe could be the best of the streaming series thus far? I will tell you that trailer blew me away. Both mm -hmm. trailers, you know, I think the latest trailer gave us a lot more. I'm just so impressed with the, the visuals of that show and they're not using the volume on that show at all. It's exclusively done on sets and on location. And you what know, exactly is the volume? The, so the volume is this led technology that they've been using on Mandalorian, Boba Fett and Obi-Wan Kenobi. It's basically a 170 degree set of led screens and they can project any background they want onto it and capture in camera without mm. having to do any sort of compositing to remove the green screen, remove the blue screen. But they do still obviously have the option of projecting blue or green in case they want to make changes in the, in the, um, in the future. Uh, I, I think that technology has worked incredibly well on the Mandalorian series. I think it worked for the most part really well on Boba Fett. I think with Obi-Wan Kenobi is a little bit of a hit and a miss sometimes. It, I, I felt like it made the scale of the show feel a lot smaller at times. So I think that was the thing that got me excited about Andor was it felt like the scale was back to a larger size on a more cinematic level in a lot of ways to what we're used to with Rogue One and the solo spinoff movies. Obviously, the saga films are going to are going to look that way. Um, so I think that was the thing that impressed me the most was just the visual quality of of what the show looks like. And then, of course, Diego Luna is so charming and Cassie Andor was obviously like one of the best characters of Rogue One. But I'm also really excited, I think, for a lot of the themes that I hope it dives into. The politicalness of Star Wars, the political drama-ness of Star Wars is really exciting to me. Yep. And that is built into the DNA of Star Wars, whether people want to admit that or not. That's just 
part of it. It's always been a part of it, no matter what. So I'm really excited to see Mon Mothma, first of all, a character who was in a deleted scene in episode three and then had one scene in Return of the Jedi to now see what is who is this character? Who is this character amongst the Republic? Who is this character in relationship to the Rebel Alliance that's slowly growing? I'm excited to see how that character is woven in and what her journey is and what her story is. And I actually like the fact that this show is only two seasons. It's 24 episodes. The second season we know is kind of like every few episodes is a year leading up to Rogue One. And then it ends with Rogue One. That to me is cool because, yes, I know where that character goes, but I'm all about the journey. The journey to me is the exciting part. And seeing, you know, Saw Gerrera, seeing some of these characters return, we'll probably see more characters show up from Star Wars lore. Yeah. I like that because not only does it give us more about Cassian Andor, but it just continues to build out that era of Star Wars, which honestly, I was not that excited about when they kept saying, we're going to make stuff in between episodes three and four. I'm like, don't we kind of already know what's happening? We need to see more of this stuff. Can't we focus on time periods that like we don't know anything about? But they've just done such a good job with Rebels and all these shows building out what's happened in, you know, those like 18-ish years in between. And I'm like, you know what? I was wrong. Let's see what Andor can do. And what what does that show add to the lore in that time period? There's probably way more stuff that we can do because it's true. That universe is massive. So I'm excited for it. It's a big galaxy. But the million dollar question is this. As as we sort of close the book on Boba Fett and Obi-Wan and the Mandalorian for now anyways we anticipate Andor if I make you Adam if I I put you in Kathleen Kennedy's seat I give you Dave Filoni's fedora what is the Star Wars show that you want to make that's an excellent question (laughs) see for me I I love what they're doing but I would love to see someone ballsy enough to go a thousand years into the future of Star Wars mm. and make something. Okay, maybe it doesn't even have to be a thousand. We can go a hundred and hundred and fifty years into the future. What are what is sort of the ripple effect of defeating the first order, defeating the Empire, rebuilding potentially the Jedi Order? How does Ray do it differently than Luke? Is it thriving? Is it succeeding? What does it look like? Is the Republic rebuilt? You know. Those are things that I would like to explore. How how has it changed? Because I kind of look at the way, I, I reflect it to our world. How has our world changed since traumatic events like World War II, you know, World War, like all these things that we've, that we've dealt with and fought, you know, how has the world changed? How has it evolved for better or for worse? So I would like to see someone do that. You know, I, I know that we love to go and explore the past because there's already material being built around that. But go 100, 100 years, 150 years into the future, what does the Jedi, the new Jedi Order look like? What does the what does the political landscape of Star Wars look like in that future? Um, I think that would be really, really fascinating. It's intriguing. I mean, yeah, you, you think about the fall of Rome. You think about the fall of Constantinople. You think about yeah. these life seismic shifts in the history of, of Earth since humans have been around. I mean, the, the sky really is the limit. I've always said I really want to go back to the old Republic. And I want to see the foundation of it. I love that movies like Rogue One sort of hinted at what was before with these fallen statues and, and ancient temples. So there's a lot of things to do. I'm excited for Andor as well, but I'm also excited to go to a completely different time period and just see what the hell is going on. Could we mm-hmm. see the original Yoda back in his younger days wearing a varsity jacket as he learns the ways oh. of the Force? <laughs> it's, uh, I'm all in. All in I am. <laughs> in all I am. It's uh, 
it's it's a never-ending source of conversation between me, my friends, and I'm sure our listeners and our viewers and your pals as well is what have we gotten in Star Wars? What do we love? And what are we excited for the future? So, Adam, you're always such a, a fun guy to talk to. You're an easy guy to talk to, yet you're so much more knowledgeable about this stuff. So I don't know how you manage to keep your intelligence and your approachability in sort of kismet spirit with one another. But thank you for once again joining us here. Where can everybody out there in the world find you? And at least the show that looks like on camera, you guys are the best of friends, regardless of what arguments may be happening backstage. <laughs> uh, well, first of all, thank you so much for having me, Mark. I, I love any opportunity I get to talk to you about literally anything, whether it's California burritos, <laughs> beers, or movies. It's, it's always a fun time. So thank you so much. Uh, I really appreciate you having me on. As far as where you can find me, my social media is very easy. I'm a very lazy person when it comes to social media. It's just my name, <laughs> Adam Hlavik. You can check me out on Heroes Reforged on YouTube. We do a podcast called The Chexicans where we just we just kind of talk about whatever we want to talk about, especially corporate mergers and how it affects the properties that we love. Uh, we're also doing reactions for a ton of shows, including all the Star Wars stuff. We'll be doing Andor as well. Check that out. And uh, yeah, I love I love hanging out and talking about movies. So anytime you want to have me on, just let me know. I think, uh, you know, we usually do like TV or movie streaming recommendations, all that stuff. But I think both of us would go ahead and take a leap of faith and say, y'all should go check out Andor because it looks like you're going to get something pretty damn good. And then Mandalorian season three coming up and you have, uh, I mean, th there's a lot of there's a lot of content that Star Wars is putting out in show form that I don't know when we're getting more movies, but in the meantime, these shows are are keeping my Star Wars appetite at bay. Um, so we'll check out Andor on September 21st, and that is going to do it for this episode of Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. You can find me on social media at Mark Ellis Live and upcoming tour dates at MarkEllis.Live. Like I said, I'll be in Vegas next week at Brad Garrett's Comedy Club at the MGM Grand Casino. So for everybody here, Jacqueline Coley, who is currently working hard on assignment, Brian Perez, Producey Lucy, Tim Ryan, and the whole gang at Rotten Tomatoes, I am merely Mark Ellis saying not hello there because I'm parting ways with you. So I'll simply say the force will be with you always. <laughs>